Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Paget here and I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. On this week's show, I'm going to be joined by Jim Warnell to discuss his time at Nintendo designing logos and packaging. But before diving into that, a question I have for you is how good are you at designing mood boards? If you're good, which you should be if you're an identity designer, you'll need to take part in the perfect match, which is a mood board design challenge from Adobe, where you have the chance to be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other talented designers, where you could go home with $1,000. So if you want to enter that, go to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play where you'll be able to find a brief and then based on that brief create your mood board using adobe stock assets for every entry submitted you will receive a gift which is a 50 dollar starbucks voucher if you're in the us or canada or a 50 dollar amazon gift card for the rest of the world so it's a win for simply entering So to learn more about that and to enter, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. I'm really keen for Logo Geek podcast listeners to get involved in this. So I have an extra offer for you. If you enter within the next three weeks, let me know by pinging me an email or by sending me a message on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You know, if you can find me, ping me a message. And what I'll do is I'll put your name into a hat Then at the end of June 2022, what I'll do is I'll pick out three lucky winners who will each go home with a year-long subscription to Adobe CC worth $660. This is exclusively for Logo Geek podcast listeners, so I really hope that you will enter uh, for a chance to win all of those prizes. So again, to learn more about that and to enter, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. And like I said, be sure to let me know that you've entered so I can put your name into a hat to win one of those uh, Adobe CC packages. So a few weeks back, a guy called Igor Rykin, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, shared a really cool video in the Logo Geek community of an interview with a guy who designed heaps of logos for Nintendo. I'd not previously heard of this person, but I was really excited by his story. And I know straight away, I wanted to get him on the podcast to talk about this. When I was a kid, I grew up with Nintendo games. I had a Game Boy, I had a a NES, I had an N64, I had a GameCube. And even to this day, I still love Nintendo. So I'm still playing uh, Mario and Zelda on my Switch with the same love that I have for those games I did as a kid. I used to also buy the Nintendo magazine too. So I've got such a fond memory of all the characters and games from that time. So 
So it's so incredibly exciting to have the opportunity to speak to the guy who designed logos for games such as Metroid Prime, Paper Mario and Animal Crossing and someone who also was involved in one of my all-time favorite games ever, Zelda Ocarina of Time. So this person is Jim Warnow who kindly agreed to be a guest on the podcast. In this interview, we really nerd out about uh, Nintendo games. Uh, we talk about some of the stories behind the logos and packaging that Jim worked on while he was working for Nintendo. And we also find out what he's up to today. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Jim Warnell. Jim, I actually came across you because someone in the Logo Geek community shared a video where you was interviewed and I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. You worked for Nintendo for around 16 years. So this was from uh, 1990 to 2006. So it's quite a while back now, but you worked on a number of logo designs for games from when I was a kid, really, you know, a, a lot of things that, um, you know, really takes me back to my childhood, reading through the Nintendo magazine, seeing things like Metroid Prime and Animal Crossing, Paper Mario, Ocarina of Time, you know, loads of games that were important to my childhood. And I think probably a lot of people listening, hopefully, uh, have that same nostalgic feeling to some of this stuff. So I thought it'd be really cool to invite you on to chat about this uh, but yeah. I think probably as an opening question how did you actually end up working for Nintendo I think we should go right back to the beginning and talk through this story well the beginning um let's see well uh, it, it was September 18th 1989 that was my first day at Nintendo and it started off um being a college job where I was answering consumer service calls. Um, I remember I was hanging out uh, at my college dorm and a buddy of mine said he was going down to a place called Seekers, which is a temporary temp agency, um, and, and said he was going to apply for uh, a job there. And uh, I, I believe it was uh, for answering calls. And I said, well, I said to myself, well, that sounds like cool. Uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, can I come along? And Chuck said, sure. So Chuck and I went down to Seekers. We did our five minute interview, which was basically, you know, do you have a pulse and can you answer phones? <laughs> and so, um, I, I did, uh, did two weeks, uh, training and, and started, um, answering phone calls, consumer service calls, like, you know, how do my, how do you, um, how do I hook up my Nintendo system? Uh, where's my Nintendo power? What games are coming out? You know, just general stuff, um, which transitioned into gameplay counseling, um, which uh, after a while transitioned into um, game testing. And then I was an associate producer and then moved up to graphic design. So um, I worked for a lot of different departments during my time there. But um, yeah, it started off answering phone calls um, as a sophomore in college. Uh, and I bet that was really exciting because oh um, yeah. I mean, you're a little bit older than me. Uh, but I do remember the Nintendo Entertainment System that was like, it was a big deal back then because it went from like uh, I guess fairly 
awful <laughs> home computers <laughs> like like the ZX Spectrum and Commodore and stuff like that, you know, where you put the cassettes in. Mm-hmm. I think the Nintendo Entertainment System and stuff like that, that was kind of, uh, for, for me anyway, almost like the birth of like proper home games consoles. And now they've obviously evolved into... Uh, what they are today so I, I can imagine you know answering telephone calls about that was probably quite exciting <laughs> it was so much fun when I started there the um, the Game Boy had just been released uh, like maybe a month or two before uh, and so um, yeah I've, I've always been a fan of video games from I had a I got an Atari 2600 for Christmas um, in the, what, the early 80s, late 70s. Um, and then uh, I had a, uh, my first computer was a Timex Sinclair 1000, which had the uh, the tape deck that you had to hook up to and and, and um, uh, you had to play the cassette at just the right volume to load the program. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and if it was too loud or not loud enough, then you had to do the whole thing over again. Uh, basic language. Oh yes. Um, and then, um, yeah. So, uh, when I, you know, I, I moved, uh, to some, to some places that uh, weren't video game friendly. So, um, by the time I got to college, you know, guys in the dorm had the NES and we were playing tech mobile and, you know, all that stuff. And, and so it just, yeah, I've always been a fan of, of video games. Always. It's kind of funny that if there's any one sort of because maybe even in their 30s, you know, mm-hmm. young, like under 30, probably don't even know what we're talking about, which is terrifying. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> it, yeah, but the thing is, a lot of these consoles are very collectible now. Like people are still buying them, collecting them. I walked by a um, CEX store. We, we have this mm-hmm. uh, store in the UK. I don't know if you have this over there where they sell like secondhand uh, computer games and stuff like that and i saw in the window the 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 first pokemon games that came out for the game boy and they were mint condition pretty much like brand new and they were over a hundred pounds so people are still clearly buying them collecting them and stuff like that because uh yeah it's uh like i was saying earlier it's it's pretty much almost like the, the 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 birth of home gaming really and it's it's madness to think it was uh you know, within our lifetime. <laughs> yeah. And, and I don't know, maybe it's because I'm older, but I don't get the excitement um, nowadays that I, that I do when I buy a game for the first time, I play it for the first time. Um, as opposed to like when I came home from the, uh, the toy store with uh, pitfall from Activision for the 2600. And I played that for the first time, man, it was just so much fun. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I, 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 I love playing Red Dead Redemption and Resident Evil and FIFA and, you know, all those games, but I don't get that excitement um, like I did when I was a kid. <laughs> like I said, maybe it's because I'm older. I don't know. I don't know. I know that we can nerd out about this stuff, but yeah, I I think we should talk about some of the logo stuff first. So yeah, yeah. Um, I'm really fascinated because you started off answering calls, and mm-hmm. somehow you became a graphic designer. And um, this is interesting. And and I how I can relate with this is my first job and how I got into graphic design. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go to university. I don't know about about your background yet, but. I basically ended up getting a job at a medical company. I started off in the warehouse. Uh They know that I was interested in drawing, illustration, and they basically put me in a job where I could end up learning 
and that's how I ended up became becoming a graphic designer. I was kind of in the right place at the right time. Okay. How did you go from being, you know, a young guy <laughs> getting a job at Nintendo, which is awesome right away, to starting off answering calls to becoming a graphic designer? Because that's a big transition. And I think even though this was, you know, 30 years ago, mm-hmm. I think some of this is probably still relevant today. So it'd be interesting to hear how you progress through those layers of uh jobs yeah yeah sure um it was it was kind of by accident and it was more mostly by accident actually it was um i I was in the mid 90s um you know 96 97 98 i was um i was an associate producer and my, my responsibility was to work on the localization of all the first and some of the second party games that were coming out of Japan. So um, Ocarina of Time, Star Fox 64, F-Zero X. Um, yeah, trying to think of some other ones. Uh, Kirby's Dream Course for the Super NES, uh, Super Mario RPG. You know, all those games would, would come over to the U.S. And it was my job to make sure that um, we had proper uh screen text we had manual text we had packaging text we had esrb ratings we worked with legal to make sure there were no issues with with um things in game that were coming out Um, working with advertising and marketing to make sure that the uh the commercials the 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 print materials all accurately reflected the games that were coming out so that was my job and in 98, towards the end uh, of my time there, my my department had been getting smaller, but the number of games had not decreased. So um, it, it got to the point where I was working on just about everything uh, first party coming out of Japan, and I was getting really burnt out. Um, I was uh, we were I was working on um, uh, it was. The Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, and I believe I was also working on Shadowgate for Game Boy, and a couple other games. I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, our design department in house was overworked and understaffed, and I needed to get um, I needed to get Shadowgate done and out the door. And I said, um, I, I talked to somebody up there. I said, Is there anything I can do to help out? And they said, well, you know, if you wouldn't mind laying out some some manual text um, and, and, you know, that would speed up the process. And and I I did it. I, I opened up Quark Express. I dropped in text for Shadowgate uh, Game Boy. And um, I, I, I really, really liked it. And uh, I thought, wow, this is this is cool. I could do this. I want to I want to do more of it. Um, and, and it, it was it was that point where I decided, where I, I figured out this is what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. I was 28. Um, I was still trying to figure things out until that Shadowgate moment. Um, I laid that manual text out. I think I did a couple of Virtual Boy games um, at the time to... Uh, maybe some other uh, smaller Game Boy games. Uh, but, uh, y- you know, as I was doing that, um, the head of design gave me a call one day and he said, would you like to come work in the design department? And I said, sure. Um, so uh, I, I transitioned from uh, being an associate producer in localization to graphic design and, um, you know, was there for 
was doing that for eight years until I left Nintendo in 06. That's incredible. And, um, you know, I, I think even though this was like 20, 30 years ago now, mm-hmm. I still personally think that these kind of opportunities come up in that way. Uh Um, Because when I worked at a medical company, they were much more inclined to train up people that were already working for the company. And uh, especially if they saw some spark of skill, because obviously you, you Mm. were, you offered to help out. They saw that you have the capabilities and they obviously thought, oh, we need somebody else to help with this Mm -hmm. rather than spend money looking for someone so in in the uk i know uh the company that i used to work at when they needed to hire someone new there's a cost to that you know they need Mm -hmm. to put out advertisements they need to do interviews it takes a lot of time but just plucking someone out that works for the company already is easy because you know them you like them you trust them you know that they have the interest the the um and you know you prove the skill set that you've got and they brought you into that team which is incredible so you know, congratulations. Right. <laughs> I, I really do think it's right place, right time. And you got lucky. <laughs> it, it, oh, oh, totally, totally, totally. It was, yeah, I, I fell into it. Um, I was, it, it luck. Um, yeah, yeah. All of that. I will totally agree with you on that. Sure, sure. So by the sound of it, when you started working for Nintendo, you didn't have any graphic design skills. Is that correct? Um, no, um, not really. Um, So how did you actually go about learning the skills that you needed to be designing like layouts in Quark Express and designing uh, logos and stuff like that for the company? um, It was the pre-YouTube days. I would um, I would read up uh, any any literature that they had from like the Quark instruction manual to the Adobe instruction manuals to, um, you know, we had three other graphic designers in house. And so I was, you know, it, it was a combination of just getting in and messing around to asking questions, to um, reading as much information as I could. It was a whole lot of trial and error. And, um, it, you know, it, it clicked with me pretty fast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I, I can relate with that because I, mm-hmm. I remember when I started learning Quark Express, mm-hmm. it was pretty self-explanatory, really. Yeah. Like if if you've got some computer knowledge to you, you can generally figure out the software. I think even like now, yeah, it's even easier. Like once you know one Adobe software, like if you learn Adobe Illustrator, you can pretty much pick up InDesign. You can pretty much pick up photoshop it's just a case of you know playing around and i think even without obviously it's easier now because you've got youtube you can search right. the internet and stuff like that i think you know uh, kids now or teenagers now or young people now they have a real advantage that, that you can learn in this way but um yeah you know i i, I again I, I still think this applies today because you can start learning on the job if you've got people around you that you can learn from then yeah uh, you, you know you're in the right place and you can absorb all this knowledge and uh if it's something that you really want to do and it sounds like it was then you're just going to pick up all of these different skills and uh was you learning at home as well did you have a computer at home did i have a computer at home i think i did yeah i had a computer at home i i might i i, I don't know if i Wait, wait, I'm thinking, yes, I had a, like a bootleg copy of, you know, Photoshop. <laughs> and I think I had a bootleg copy of uh, Illustrator. 
And yeah, it was just, you know, go in, make stuff, you know, mess around, figure out commands and, you know, layers and links and, you know, all the commands of of options of of Photoshop and Illustrator. And and luckily, the Adobe products, um, as good as they are, uh, a lot of the commands that work in Photoshop also work in Illustrator. So they're, Mm -hmm. they're fairly interchangeable with each other. So you know, if I can master, not master, but if I can get really good at one program, it's going to transition uh, fairly easy, fairly smoothly over to another. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and um, I, I laughed at myself when you said that you got a bootleg copy because, <laughs> um, like, P, I don't think people realize now. So anyone that's listening that has got into graphic design recently, mm-hmm. so a subscription for like Adobe CC is really cheap in com- in comparison to what it used to be like if you wanted quark express and photoshop and illustrate and all this sort of stuff um on your computer at home mm-hmm. i can't remember the prices but off the top of my head i swear they were like five grand plus for the for the set like if you wanted all of the software you had to buy it all pretty much outright mm-hmm. so yeah. i remember when i started learning I, th- I think a lot of young graphic designers were the same you know 10 years plus yeah it was the only way really to start learning but um i think now adobe and other pretty much all other software companies have have realized this issue now and they've been able to solve it by making uh subscription models and stuff that are much more affordable so you know if you're starting out as a graphic designer now it's a lot easier to learn it's a lot more affordable but i still think you know some of these uh things that we're talking about now like learning on the job, being enthusiastic, getting promoted. I, I personally think a lot of this stuff is still relevant here today. Oh, oh yeah. And, and learning on the job uh, at a video game company. I mean, that's, that's win-win. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I can't imagine um, trying to learn on the job if I'm working, uh, you know, I, I don't know, somewhere else like, uh, you know, um, a car dealership or yeah you know, somewhere boring somewhere yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly okay so i think we should talk about some of these logos and the process and stuff you know to get some of that insider knowledge because uh you know you you mentioned a, a couple of other games like star fox is mm-hmm. that lilac wars because i remember in one place it, i think in the states it was star fox in the uk it was lilac wars, lilac wars that was one yeah. of my favorite games on the that was on the n64 or was yep. there an even earlier version um uh, well i mean there was um yeah, you know, Star Fox one and two for the Super NES. Um, but yeah, Lilac Wars uh, for uh, Nintendo 64. I worked on that um, in my associate producer days. So I wasn't so cool. involved in it's that. one of my favorite games as a kid anyway. I don't know if like I played it now, if it would still be as exciting. But um, I uh, I recently... And sorry for listeners, because I'm going way off the topic of logo design, but whatever. Um, I recently bought for the Switch, there's a game, I can't remember what it's called without checking, but um, in, I think it was like a Toys R Us or something, I Mm -hmm. saw you can get like this uh, game for the Switch where you get a model of the plane from Lilac Wars with the little Star Fox. Oh, really? And you get this little gadget where you can connect it. And when you change the ship on the top of this, Thing. so they're actual like collectible uh ships you click it in you can play 
that ship within the game oh. but obviously it's all modern it's all 3d you can like turn and boost and it's just not the same as being limited to being able to just go straight you know in a straight straight line and like steer left steer right twirl mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff it's just not the same for me i actually just want the game that came originally so there was um on on the switch they remastered um zelda uh, Wind Waker, mm-hmm. and they 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 left the game the same, but just updated it, and that was that was like a nostalgic dream for me. It was so good to be able to play that game again, and um, yeah, it's just cool to be able to play these things. Like the the nostalgia level is is amazing. So it's really cool to be able to speak to someone that worked on uh, the uh, games originally. Really, you know, some of these stuff is is. Uh, going to go down in in history and i I think just before we do go into the lego stuff how Mm -hmm. does it feel for you having worked on some stuff that is as important as something that's nostalgic you know like like some of these things that you're talking about they are like a part of my childhood and they they stuck with me and when i see the graphics when i like when i saw that interview of you and i saw those logos Mm -hmm. that had you know it brought back all these memories from a kid how does it feel having worked on something that is so nostalgic and so important to people? Because I think some of these things, they're going to stick around forever. Like it's 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 part of computer game history, really. And mm-hmm. it's something that you uh, physically worked on. It is always cool. Um, it, 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 it never gets old. Um, it, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, I, it, it's a part of my life that I, I truly enjoyed. Um, I, I, it was working at Nintendo was the best job uh, ever. And, uh, to, to know that I got the chance to work on some games that will be around for ever. Um, it, it's, it's something that's just always, um, it's, it's, it's always cool. Um, yeah. uh, I, um, my, my girlfriend's daughter, my stepdaughter, um, she is a huge Animal Crossing fan. Um, and so when she found out that I did the logo for Animal Crossing, she geeked out. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's just like little things like that. Um, um, I, uh, I, I watch a lot of um, Honest Trailers. Um, I don't, it's, it's a YouTube channel, um, Screen Rant. Right. And they did an honest game trailer of Star Fox 64. And I thought, well, that is cool. I've made it, you know, just you, you never get tired of, of seeing stuff you've you've done, you've worked on, um, enjoyed by uh, so many people. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. It's really cool. OK, so that means that you're going to be probably pretty hyped to be able to talk about some of the process behind this stuff. So I've wrote down a few projects that you worked on. You might be able to add, oh, yeah. to add some more to this. But I think like the one on the top of my list is Metroid Prime, because I'm yep. aware that you worked on that logo. Uh-huh. Um, I also read that this went through 53 iterations, which is a lot. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk through how... how um, I don't know how much detail you want to go in, but you know, fans of this podcast are all nerds about Legos and we love all the process stuff. So do you want to share some of the insider information and working on a logo project like Metroid Prime? Well, I mean, you're, you're jarring my memory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was... Testing you, you know, going yeah. back a fair length yeah. of time here. <laughs> 20, 
20 years. Um, yes, there were 53 versions. Um, at the time, it was the most expensive logo Nintendo had ever done. Really? Just, okay. just, just strictly from the man hours that were uh, involved with, with creating this logo. And it was all in house, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and oh, while there were 53 versions, yeah, you know, technically, you know, some of those versions may have been, you know, do this with a red ball, do this with a gold ball, do this with a black ball, or, you know, uh, there's this version has too much texture. This one doesn't have enough texture, you know. So there might have been very slight differences between some of the versions, but from, you know, version one to version 53 yeah there were 53 versions and um that was that was a game i wanted to do because i was a metroid fan and so um when i got the chance to do it um you know i i uh i i jumped all over it and um you know i i as passionate as i was about it i wasn't gonna stop until you know somebody approved it so um and, and with a game that big, you know, there are a lot of people who are looking at this. And so, you know, um, to to paraphrase Mr. Miyamoto, um, a, a late logo is only late until it ships. A bad logo is bad forever. So Yeah, that's a really good line there. <laughs> Am I right that Metroid Prime, so I, I remember there were like 2D versions of Metroid. Was Metroid Prime the first 3D version of Metroid? Yes, it was. Right. So, yeah, I, yeah I, I remember seeing the pictures of it in, like, the Nintendo magazine. I never actually bought the game. I think I was possibly a bit too young for it. I can't remember. Um, but I was very much into games like Ocarina of Time. That was... Um, that was... <laughs> so, I remember... So, my favorite game, so, mm -hmm. as a kid, Game Boy... Link's Awakening, like I mentioned earlier, yeah. that was a special game for me. It was, you know, hours and hours spent on the the original sort of thick, chunky gray <laughs> Game Boy playing with the green, yeah. you know, the, the the green sort of tiny screen. That was, um, you know, a special part of my childhood. I'll be, sure. I'll be honest. That that was, um, like I said, you know, replaying that game recently mm -hmm. with new graphics and stuff like that. I had the same feeling I did when I was a kid. But then <laughs> I remember the the there was a trailer on the TV for Ocarina of Time, uh -huh. and it took that game and it made it 3D, <laughs> and it had like um, I I so clearly remember it like uh, Ganondorf coming in uh, and the horse like flipping up with him on it, and it was like that that was a special moment as of my childhood because it's like it's that game but in 3d uh -huh. and um it was really cool that you worked on that one i wasn't sure if you worked on the logo for that one did you work on the logo or was it more that you worked you was more like involved in the game in some way ocarina of time i did not work on the logo um when ocarina of time was being you know developed when it came out that was toward the end of my time uh in in uh, product development and transitioning over to design. Um, so that was, I mean, I, I worked on, um, debug, 
for for that game. I worked on um, manual and packaging, um, marketing, advertising. Still I pretty cool. Done <laughs> everything for for Ocarina except for the screen text. That was all Dan Osen. Um, right. Uh, I believe because uh, because he worked on the screen text for Link to the Past. Uh, EAD, the development team working on Ocarina, I think they wanted him to work on the screen text for, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the EAD, yeah, they wanted Dan to work on the screen text for Ocarina. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So just before moving on to the second half of this podcast, I want to once again give a shout out to The Perfect Match who have kindly sponsored this episode. As a designer, we're frequently designing mood boards, but how good are you at communicating the intended message? Well, now you can find out. I want you to design a mood board using Adobe Stock Assets and to submit it to the perfect match. Every entry will receive a $50 gift voucher, but you'll also be entered for a chance to be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show where you could win $1,000. On top of this, if you do enter, let me know by the end of June 2022. And what I'll do is I'll put your name into a hat for a chance to win one of three Adobe CC annual subscriptions. And this particular offer is exclusively for listeners of this podcast so please do enter to learn more about the perfect match and to enter head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play so now let's get back to that interview Okay, so I know that you did work on Animal Crossing. That's a game that's still very current. And I know there's probably people listening that are probably big Animal Crossing fans because, you know, some of the games that we spoke about, they are, um, I guess, uh, old school. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Animal Crossing, that's still very current today. Can you talk through some of the behind the scenes of that particular logo? Uh, I'm trying to trying to remember with that one. Um I'm yeah, testing yeah. your memory here, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, if I remember correctly, that one, um, since since it was a um, it, it was a different type of game, um, it, you know, it was all kind of this um, this this village uh, set in real time, and it ran twenty four hours, and so we wanted the logo to look like. It was a, a, um, uh, a, a like a, a sign as you're coming into a town, like welcome to, you know, Seattle or welcome to, you know, Birmingham or what, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the, that was a premise behind, um, um, making the logo for Animal Crossing. Um, and I believe, uh, and, and you're going to have to help me out here because it's been a while. Um, wasn't there like, um, uh, a, a train station or a uh, some sort of like when you, you can't first ask out? me these questions because okay. being honest animal crossing is one game that i really haven't played oh. um i had an ex i had an ex-partner that was really oh. obsessed with it playing on it all the time so i i totally understand the okay. appeal but it's not it's not um ocarina of time or mario or anything like that it, oh, okay. it just i don't know why it just never really um it never really roped me in like some other games did. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, 
with 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 that one um i you know i i might have done three or four different versions of the logo um usually when i work on a logo um i'll do one version that the client wants one version that i like and then one version that's kind of in between Mm -hmm. um so that's probably what i did with animal crossing um and uh, they ended up going with uh, the one I, you know, I, I worked on and liked and, and the rest is, is history. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it when that happens yeah. where the client comes in with specific expectations mm-hmm. and then you show them something else and it's like, oh yeah, we want that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. And yeah. you also worked on, did you do the Paper Mario logo as well? I did Paper Mario, yes. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, yeah. I I love Paper Mario. I mean, that's another game that's still kind of stuck around. Um, in fact, you know, one thing I really do like about Mario is that um, uh, it's it's one game that works really well still now. Like if, um, a lot of old games. So mm-hmm. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I bought from kickstarter this zx spectrum thing that plugs into the back of the tv it had like everything mm-hmm. loaded on it and um i i played it and it's like this is not my i i should not go back to these games because they're just awful um <laughs> i mean they were great at the time but playing them now on bigger tv and all that sort of stuff it's just not it's most of what i was yeah. playing just wasn't fun anymore but mm-hmm. mario is hands down still one game that works so well like you can play the original like if you get an emulator still mm-hmm. a great game still a fantastic game and you know uh, all of the mario games you know they are uh especially like the modern ones they've got in, in some cases they have like this hybrid of of the 2d and 3d but the paper mm-hmm. mario that's i remember when that came out and uh you know, it's it's really cool that still here today, there's still the new versions of Paper Mario coming out. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to share like some of the logo story behind that one as well? Well, yeah, it was, um, shoot, if, if I remember correctly, Paper Mario was also a, like a offshoot or a hybrid of um, Super Mario RPG, which is a game that I worked on also. Um uh paper mario i mean uh, something like uh, something like paper mario is is pretty easy because you're going to you're not going to deviate from the mario font yeah um japan would not allow that but um i wanted the the paper part to mimic the mario um and and then i just uh, one day I, i i came up with the idea of just you know what if i crumpled up a piece of paper um and uh, I, I, I crumbled it up. I, I scanned it into Photoshop, and and I messed around with it until um, I, I came up with a, 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 an idea or a, or a look that uh, that you know it's 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 the Paper Mario logo now. So it was it, you know just just trying different things and uh, seeing what would work. And um, you know, luckily that crumpled up piece of paper that I scanned into Photoshop turned out to be. The Paper Mario logo. That's really cool. Yeah. I was just searching it on my phone to mm. uh, remind myself what it looked like. And yeah, uh, yeah I can see um, that you clearly scanned in a piece of screwed up paper and yeah. worked with it like yeah. that. That's really cool. Yeah. It's cool yeah. to see and cool to hear yeah. um, some of the behind the scenes stuff. And, I, I, you know, the the final result, to be honest, that's what you would kind of expect it to look like. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so that was probably an easy one for you, right? <laughs> that, yes. W when when there are certain things you can't deviate from, like with Mario, um, logos tend to be a lot easier to do. You know, Metroid Prime, there was really nothing like it at the time. Um, yeah. You know, but with with anything involving Mario, then yeah, you've there's things you got to stick to, and things that are going to make you stick to. So. Um, it, yeah, that was an that was an easier logo to do. I would yeah, say. I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Were there any other sort of fairly big, noteworthy logo projects that you worked on while you were at Nintendo? Let's see. I was I was looking through a list of games um, while I was waiting for this to begin. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying um, to remind yourself exactly that like you worked on so many things. Exactly. <laughs> I did. Uh, let's see. We have Metroid Prime, Prime Two hunters um uh, part of the logo for fusion metroid fusion right right um i did uh animal crossing uh golden sun one golden sun two i can't remember golden sun at all i'd have it's to google that <laughs> role-playing game for game boy right um advanced wars one and two uh mario superstar baseball one of the NBA games, but I can't remember which one. I think it was. I remember um, the NBA games. I think it was I had three one of on those. Yeah, I think it was three on three for Game Boy Color. Right. Um, Kirby 64. Oh, Kirby 64. Excite by 64. I love 64. the Kirby games. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I used to. So when I was a teenager, probably younger mm -hmm. than that, I used to buy the Nintendo magazine all the time. Oh, yeah. So, you know, when you say things like Kirby 64, I remember that being on like the front cover. Um, mm -hmm. I've I've actually got a t-shirt. No, not, not a t-shirt, a jumper with Kirby on it. <laughs> <laughs> Just such an iconic um, character. So it was really cool to work on that type of thing. So what, what was it like working on the Kirby 64 logo? Was that another one where it was fairly Pretty easy because Kirby had existed for a fairly long time, if yeah. I remember right? It, it's, it's interesting because the first game I worked on as an associate producer was Kirby Stream Course. The first complete logo and package that I did was Kirby 64. So, um, it, yeah, Kirby was e pretty easy because, you know, there's, there's standards you have to stick to like Mario. So, um, coming up with, with that logo was, was pretty easy. Um, so you did the whole packaging as well. I just Googled it just yeah. to remind myself what it looked like. Yeah. Yeah. I assume that with like the N64, there were some kind of framework that you were working with because mm -hmm. i remember the the boxes had like a set layout in terms of like the graphics and stuff that's on it so i'm looking at the kirby 64 packaging now on my phone while we're mm -hmm. speaking and obviously it's got all the little characters and stuff like that did you have those assets already created or did you need to to draw those as well no some um some of those assets were already created it was sure um, that it, makes sense yeah so it was just a matter of um you know organizing them um, in a pleasing fashion yeah so putting it together in yeah. photoshop i guess and uh creating that logo was that in mm -hmm. was was that in photoshop as well because i can yeah. imagine it probably was with the uh i remember working in quark express it it's it wasn't as easy as it is now with like in design uh you would have all these like if you did like a part in illustrator and you overlaid it over something it was just a pain <laughs> <laughs> you have to do all these different things so putting it all into one single 
uh, Photoshop file and saving out as a TIFF, I guess, is uh, a hell of a lot easier than trying to layer these things in Quark Express or something like that. Yeah, back uh, so with packaging back then, it was um, there were Photoshop files that were placed in Illustrator. Uh, sure. So, and the Illustrator had the um, had the die line, and you had to fit the the files within the die line, and then we would save the files on a zip disk or a sequest disk and send it off to Japan. And, and so six, eight weeks later, we had our proofs. We, you know, I, they, I don't, I don't think they do blue lines anymore, but uh, we used to get blue lines and, and have to review them and approve them and send them back mm-hmm. to Japan. It was a very long process. Yeah. Especially yeah. Um, all this stuff is, you, you don't really think about it because that technology has changed gradually because I was I was only talking the other day with somebody who was looking at like a USB stick and it's like who uses a USB stick now like you can just uh it's easy to transfer files to somewhere somewhere mm-hmm. I use Dropbox a lot so like if if I need to like open up a file on my phone mm-hmm. I just log into my Dropbox and I can access everything that's on my computer uh-huh. so you know these technologies changed a lot and I, I remember those um zip disks so am I understanding right? You, you literally needed to put it on the zip disk and then post it to Japan. Um, yes. Uh, we would either use zip disks, which were 100 megabytes, mm-hmm. or... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds funny now, you know, but... Um, it, yeah. it, it is, um, because... <laughs> Who not, even has a zip drive now? <laughs> not, not only do you have to put them on a zip disk, like if you've got a package file with a whole bunch of different, you know, Photoshop files and screenshots and fonts. Mm-hmm. You have to organize them into folders that are no more than a hundred megabytes a piece. So, you know, you might have to send five or six zip disks and it's, it's, it's all about, you know, putting them in the right folders so that, you know, each file is, is each folder is no more than a hundred megabytes. And so you might have to, when you're sending something off to Japan, um, 20 years ago, you might have to flatten a Photoshop file um, Mm -hmm. and put it in a folder. Uh, But, you know, you always make sure you keep your your native files in case you have to make any changes. But uh, it's madness now how you're like having to put them on a disk, do all this stuff and then send it over to Japan, which probably took Mm -hmm. a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And then so they did proofs and then sent those proofs back. Yeah. From Japan. Yeah. And it's just crazy to think about that now. If we didn't have zip disks, we had to use Sequest disks, which were these tape disks only about, uh, I believe they were 44 megabytes. So I don't even know what that is. <laughs> um, if you ever ever get the chance to look up Sequest drives, it's S Y Q U E S T, a Sequest drive, and they're these. They look like eight track tapes. I don't know if you know what an eight track uh, tape is. But... Um, were they like those backup tapes? Eight tracks were were music. Uh, they were precursors to the cassette tapes back in the seventies. Right. Um, see, you know, but, uh, yeah, they were these big bulky, they look like, almost look like NES cartridges, game packs. Right. They're sure. about that big. Um, and they held almost no memory. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, it, nowadays it's, you know, you just throw something in a folder, zip it up, send it through Dropbox or we transfer or whatever. And, and it's good. But yeah, back then yeah. we didn't have that. Even proofing is easy now. Like oh, uh, yeah. typically most like online proofs are mm-hmm. pretty accurate. You don't even need to do the whole, um, 
uh, effort of printing stuff out. Oh, it's yeah. it's funny because uh, I I started as a graphic designer maybe 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and it's madness to think how much everything has changed even in even in that time. Because when I was learning graphic design at the start of my career mm-hmm. there was no youtube even then like youtube is so new oh yeah and the internet is is uh it's it's weird because it's it's been a it feels like it's been around for forever but actually it hasn't been because obviously when i was uh 10 it was a new thing you know uh, you had those dial-up modems when i was you know going into school (laughs) and we wanted to like uh connect to the internet yeah you'd have to wait ages for pages to load up you'd have the you know the the old modems and it's weird to think in 20 years how far all of this has come because it just sounds it sounds ridiculous now like that that um nintendo would have a uk-based team that would do all the work in the UK, then when they would have to put it on this, send it all the way over to, to, to Japan mm-hmm. to then send it all the way back. It's like, why didn't they just do it all in Japan ah. and just hire somebody that could do all the localization stuff? It just seems like now here today, it just seems like absolute madness that that's the way that stuff used to be done. But, mm-hmm. it, um, you know, that, I guess that was normal then really, wasn't it? <laughs> and, and I don't know if you had this um, uh, over there, but, you know, when the internet was new, and you had to use the dial-up modems you know you only had um a certain number of hours every month you know yeah you, uh, you know like if you had aol american online um, i'm too i'm i'm literally too <laughs> young for it because when um so it my was... parents we didn't have like a computer at home mm-hmm. so when i got my first computer was when i was probably about 20 mm-hmm. which would be like 18 years ago (laughs) um and obviously i was able to get um you know proper uh i mean not not the equivalent of like broadband now but it's fairly decent internet Mm -hmm. uh 20 years ago and it's just yeah it's weird how things have changed yeah yeah i i remember having to pay some of those uh internet bills where you know you paid by the hour and so there were some months where you know my 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 America online bill was crazy high. I can't even imagine that. It's yeah. it's it's hard to think about now because mm-hmm. it's it's easy, it's normal. It's just this is just what we what yeah. we live with really. Yeah. You know, you've got the internet in your pocket. You can do all of this stuff so easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, it's it, I, it's a good I actually think now is like the best time ever to be a graphic designer because you know, we can you can uh, like as a young designer Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like I said, you're you're a little bit older than me, but as a graphic designer now, someone just starting out, you can so easily learn anything. You can go on YouTube, you can learn it, you can sit down, you can communicate so easily. It's easy to like apply for jobs. It's easy to like get the software. It's not as expensive as it used to be. And it's just, it's having this conversation now, it's, it's just making me think how much, even in my career, how much it's changed. So, um, yeah, I <laughs> can I, I can't imagine that how, how you feel like it's really it really has changed a lot because when you started at Nintendo mm-hmm. 1990 that was only six years after the uh, Macintosh first came out so yeah. um, you know graphic design on a computer when you started out was probably a fairly new thing right it was yeah yeah it was a, a state-of-the-art you know that was like state-of-the-art technology you're like the first generation to actually work on 
graphic design on a computer really yeah and and i remember some of my um design school instructors who were older would show the process of of what they did for graphic design and it was you know um using exacto blades and cutting things out and pasting things up on boards and 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 thinking how weird and foreign that was um and you know if somebody today hearing about zip disks and um <laughs> you know <laughs> Um, file transfer protocols and you know stuff like that you know yeah. m- might think that's just foreign to them and and yeah archaic. exactly yeah. It's, it's the same <laughs> as you back then watching somebody doing doing it the old way it's still interesting though still yeah. i mean f- in terms of like the process for doing that stuff it's still very similar it's just different technology i find myself doing the grumpy old man speech where you know <laughs> people talk about you know how tough it is and you know you don't know what you're talking about you know in my, <laughs> you know, in my day you know, we had to use zip disks and you know yeah so it's yeah <laughs> it's it's come a long way in a short period of time they just call sure. you a boomer yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. yeah i get that a lot <laughs> not surprised okay so obviously we've I, I think we've got about 10 minutes left of this. okay so yeah. we spoke a lot about your time at nintendo mm-hmm. uh you work there from 1990 to 2006 so what we're talking about is quite a long time ago yeah uh what are you doing now so so you obviously you know, there's been a good length of time since then, and and you left Nintendo, if I'm right, in 2006. Yep. Um. What are you still doing graphic design now, or are you doing something completely different? No, I'm I'm still doing graphic design. Um. After I left Nintendo, I started. Um. I've done graphic design mostly in the public safety sector. So, nine one. Um. I guess. Uh. Over there, it's what nine nine nine. Um, sure, emer- sure. Emergency, emergency di- services. Yeah, emergency services. Sure. So um, I spent 15 years um, working as a marketing designer for a, a public safety company here in Redmond. Um, and then uh, for the last year, I've been doing graphic design and marketing for um, a company based in Boston. Um, it's, it's interesting because I'm working from home. They're based in Boston. They're three hours ahead of me. So, um, uh, you know, communication is not always great because, um, you know, the time difference. But, um, you know, I've, I've, I've enjoyed my, uh, my, my time in the public safety sector. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it's a chance to be involved with something that's going to possibly help save lives. And, and that's, yeah. that's really cool. Um, but, That's yeah. a big transition from working on computer games to doing something as serious as uh, <laughs> emergency services. Because you are right that um, you know this is the type of thing that can change someone's life. What was there? Was there a was that an intentional choice to move into the area? Because that's no, you know that that's. <laughs> quite a substantial thing to to move into you know computer games is just a bit of fun to moving into something that actually seems like oh you you could save someone's life with this piece of graphic this mm. piece of work that you're doing right here right now yeah it, no it was not an intentional move um it was right i i was finishing up school i you know and i needed to work um and yeah they were, um, of course the zetron was looking for a, a graphic designer and so um i 
jumped over and you know spent 15 great years there brilliant cool cool okay um i'm just thinking if there's any sort of last question that i can throw your way um so you've been a graphic designer now for a fairly long long time yes um it's scary i've I've been a graphic designer now for a long time as well. <laughs> do you do you have any approach for like keeping on top of stuff? Because you know we, we've had this conversation now. We've been talking about Zip Disk and like Quark Express <laughs> and you know things that are basically um, just to some extent dead. Like these, yes. there there would be there will literally be people here that were born in the year two thousand that are in their twenties now, which is scares me that won't even know what we're talking about now so have you found any useful ways of like keeping on top of this stuff because oh, it's always changing oh yeah trends always change and and, and um yeah i find myself um looking at um just various design magazines um there's two or three youtube channels i i check out uh, just because i i like to keep up to date with photoshop keep up to date with you know what's going on in adobe um in design illustrator uh so uh, you know i'm 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 constantly, I mean, I, I can't cite specifics right now. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Don't worry. But it, also, um, it all makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, if you graduated from college in 2008 with a degree in graphic design and think, I don't have to learn anything else for the rest of my life, you're fooling yourself. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's... It, it, just like with any other profession, you should always constantly be learning and and growing yeah. and evolving uh, your 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 craft. You know. Yeah, I think that's a great thing about being a graphic designer is that to some extent you're always uh, having to learn. You're always having to learn something new and and develop new skills because uh you know let, let's let's be honest like right now the stuff that is available today the the technology that we're using now uh the softwares we're using now people in 10 15 20 years will be joking about it like we are zip disk mm -hmm. technology just keeps changing and as graphic designers you can't you can't stop you no. know it's not like the building trade where you yeah. learn and you just keep doing the same thing over and over and over as graphic designers that we we're using new technology all the time and having to keep on top of stuff and learning new trends and all sorts of stuff so um is there a particular youtube channel that you keep an eye on off the top of your head um one i look at a lot is it's called flern and it's spelled p-h-l-e-a-r-n Right, I'll I'll link to that in the show notes. I haven't yeah, heard of that one, but I'll check that uh, out. He's a a, a Photoshop um, uh, tutorial channel. The guy does a really good job um, just explaining things, and and um, you know, I, I I like to, like I said, I like to 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 learn as much as possible. I mean, good group. yeah. Within the last, I think I need to check that out because it's it's very easy to get comfortable. Yeah, like. Even within the last couple of years, I've been really getting into um, um, Premiere and After Effects. Um, you know, I, I may not have, have, you know, been into it as much, you know, five years ago, you know, 10 years ago, just because it was still A, really new, and, and B, I didn't really have the time. But um, 
you know, lately I've been uh, really getting into Premiere and After Effects and and that video editing aspect, which is you know it's it's another function of design, really, um, and, yeah. and and enjoying it. So, yeah, you, yeah, you, you you still got that same energy as you did, you know, when you started working as a graphic designer in nineteen ninety. It's really it's really good to hear, and um, uh, I think I actually think most graphic designers are like this, like people that have been in the game for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 20 years plus, they still have that same energy. So it's it's nice to hear that, you know, people in this in this profession are uh, still learning, playing with new software and uh, playing still, you know? Yeah. It really is playing. <laughs> you know, I, I uh, you will not always figure out what you want to be when you're 18 years old. Some, some people, it, it clicks right away. Um, other people that'll take them, uh, longer, you know, for me, I didn't figure out what I wanted to be until I was 28, you know, mm-hmm. graphic design. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap up this interview. So, Jim, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. This has been a lot of fun. And I hope uh, people listening hasn't um, uh, minded the nerding out about (laughs) old games, consoles and uh, old games and stuff like that. Hopefully it's been a lot of fun for listeners as well. But, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. So thank you so much, Jim, for... Uh um, coming on and I hope listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, my pleasure. It's been, uh, been a lot of fun going down memory lane. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jim. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jim, for coming on the podcast. As you could probably tell, I really enjoyed this conversation. So I hope that listeners enjoyed it as much as I did. So if you want to learn more about Jim, head to his website, jimwarnell.com. I'll link to that along with his social profiles in the show notes for this episode, which you can find by heading to logageek.uk forward slash 137. And don't forget to check out the sponsor of this podcast, The Perfect Match, and start working on your moodboard design for a chance to win $1,000. Just head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play. And if you do enter, make sure to let me know so that I can put your name into a hat to win one of those three Adobe CC annual subscriptions. So thank you so much for listening. I'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.